0: This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Business Impact, and it's that time of the year where everyone's thinking about holidays. Yes, remember those things? We're also talking about going back to the workplace. I was on some public transport the other day, and it was very public in the sense that there was a lot of people on it, mask wearing, falling quite um, radically. I did notice that, but definitely the very, very badly missed species that is the commuter, the office worker were there on the trains and so on. And there's a real sense of office life kind of sprouting back into its activity. And I think this goes to a wider point that a lot of people are taking stock tentatively returning to the office. I don't think anyone is necessarily fully in the flow yet. There's a a feeling of just kind of emerging bleary-eyed back into the old environment we all inhabited two and a half years ago. You see a lot of this stuff in the US media about the great resignation. Some people call it the great reset. And there's a lot of a feeling of kind of change in the air both in way offices operate, how um, people in different roles interact. The role between worker and line manager and management more generally is, is, is obviously in a disruptive phase. There's a lot of talk about getting skills, getting bodies into um, companies and organisations. And of course, we have the, the grinding of the war in Ukraine and the inflation issues that arise from that as well, affecting organisations in their operational um, setups at the moment. So overall, it is a time of great change Turmoil, some of it good, some of it bad. And a lot of people are talking about the skill base that yes, there is a shortage of staff, but what kind of staff and what kind of staff do they have in terms of skills and that national and global skill base? I saw one fascinating figure there recently where some um, authorities in this area estimate that over 50% of the current global workforce will require reskilling by 2025. Now, even if that's even close to the actual figure, it is really an extraordinary amount of learning new insights new skills and disciplines that we all will need to grapple with over the next few years and that is the theme of today's podcast it's going to be a look at we looking at the world of training skills new learning new orientation new directions and new personal development journeys that is what we will be discussing today and my guest is Helen Brophy who is the director of Smurfit executive development she also sits on the advisory board here at Smurfit and she also teaches in this area of change management. So she is the perfect person to talk to. She's had previous careers in the food industry, including CEO of the National Dairy Council. Also spent time working in the BIM, the board Ishkiwara, the fish promotional body. And she's like all of us trying to get used to this new world. And it's going to be a very interesting conversation with her day on this whole world of change. You're very welcome along,
1: Helen. Thanks very much, Emma. It's good to talk to you.
0: Yeah, and probably seen, you're probably probably getting a bit nervous because we've got so much stuff to talk about. I've listed off already, Thanks. so hopefully we can squeeze cram it into the next 30 minutes. Uh, I've talked about the great resignation and the skill needs of the workforce and so on. And um, we're coming out of this COVID period, as I mentioned in the intro, we don't know exactly what the virus is going to do, but we can't control that. And neither me nor you can say where it's going to go. But it looks like things are heading into the summer months and then into the autumn a little bit better. We see trains full, we see the roads busier. And a lot of this has led to people kind of thinking about the workplace they're going back to, whether it's a new job or the old job. They're just taking a step back at a kind of a wider lens of when things are. Is is that how you see it in terms of work and change at the moment? What's what's your own sense of of what's going on out there?
1: Certainly, Emmet. From you know what we see, um, from our own executives and and our client organisations. Certainly, the last uh, number of months, particularly up to Easter, were incredibly disruptive, uh, purely with the sheer numbers of people actually succumbing to the virus. And since Easter, certainly, we're seeing you know a change in that. So there, there's less illness, and um, certainly, and less households, let's say, being turned upside down with childcare rearrangements and all of that. And um, I wouldn't say though that. You know, and I know what you're saying of public transport and I can see it myself and things are a lot busier. The roads are a lot busier. But actually, you know, this new way of working is still in a very much a a new entry phase, I would say, where it is going to take time for it to settle down. I think organisations are very aware that things have changed quite radically. Uh, since before COVID arrived, and not everybody uh, shares the view of, I need to be back in the office. And for example, I was talking with two of the tech giants last week, and both of them were saying to me that, you know, one of their biggest challenges right now is that people who were hired during the pandemic may have been now working with them for two years, and have never actually entered the office. And by the way, are actually quite happy about that and don't really see the need to go to the office. So that's something that organizations are really struggling with right now is how do you make hybrid working actually work, not just for the employees, but also for the organization itself. And so, you know, that there is no magic solution. Organizations are really trying to trial and see what works best. And within that, as you referred to the great resignation, you know, retention is a major factor uh, in the market right now at the moment, because there's quite a lot of opportunities. Uh, I can see it myself with our own executives. There's a lot of uh, transfers and promotions happening and people leaving organizations. So it's, it's, it's a kind of a careful balance between, you know, trying to reset the organization strategically and to go forward now post-pandemic, and at the same time retain our talent and motivate them and keep them engaged in a culture that um, has changed hugely because of the way that we work has changed over the last two years. So I I guess as as an opening, that's where I would see things right now at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's hard to get a fix on it statistically in terms of how many people are working from home, how many people, as you've said, are hybrid and how many people are working full time. I suppose it probably breaks down a little bit On sectoral lines, does it from your sense of things that it depends what they're doing?
1: I mean, 80% of the executives, you know, that we would be dealing with in Smurfit would be in that sort of mid to senior level. And certainly, unless you're, for example, operating on the front line, for example, in the medical side, healthcare side, and some aspects of pharmaceutical manufacturing or indeed maybe food manufacturing, food processing, you know, I would say more than 90% are working at home to some degree and some more than others. And that seems to be the accepted norm now. Now, I have come across interesting situations where, for example, the senior level may be in a company are working from home, but they require the more junior end to actually come into the office and, you know, something, some sort of divide like that can form the basis then of, um, you know, it's it's not highly motivating or engaging for for employees who are forced to come in. So there's that kind of careful balance between, you know, how do we encourage and make people realize that actually being in the office is really healthy, particularly for a younger generation. Uh, and how do we flex and recognize that this is, here to stay and this way of working is going to continue. I was talking with um, a public sector body last week and, you know, they're very much of the opinion that they want to enforce and they use the word enforce from July that people will come in 50% of the time to the office and that's not going down too well with their employees at the moment. So there's a careful balance to be found between, you know, enforcing and, Having people voluntarily coming to the office and seeing what the benefits are of being in the office, as well as maybe working from home, I don't think we're. I I think where a role can be performed at home as well as in the office, I don't see it ever going back to 100% in the office. And that would be, I would hear that in lots of discussions and conversations that I'm having. That that's you know we're gone past those days now. So unless it's absolutely essential, people will expect that level of flexibility to what degree depends on the role, depends on the organization. But people definitely have changed uh, well-being, work life balance, you know, commuting, all of those stresses and added factors. Uh, That's really at the heart of what's happened in the US. People are beginning to question, uh, you know, what, what are they at and where are they going? And the fact is that we're all going to spend longer in the workforce So, you know, we have to we have to kind of have a sense of balance as to how we take that forward. It doesn't make it any easier for organizations. And, you know, it's certainly in the classroom, you know, there's a lot of a lot of issues arising. Um, and, and, you know, particularly when people aren't engaging, how do you deal with that? What happens to the culture of an organization? How do you execute a new strategy when you don't see people? How do you get people engaged? It just begs so many questions, but actually, you know, not in a negative way. I would actually see it really positively. Uh, this is this is the reality of, of the new world of working and you have to embrace it we have to, uh, you know, expect that things are going to change radically. And, and hence, you know, you you made that statement at the outset about reskilling. It's up to all of us, particularly as leaders and as managers, to really embrace how the world has changed. And we're not going to go backwards. Every organisation has to embrace it if they want to move forwards.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's fascinating where you say we're going to spend a lot longer in the workplace, which just is going to, I, I suppose, we think back to my parents' generation, or even grandparents, it was one job, possibly one company for the entirety of their careers, and not necessarily much movement. Now we're looking at multiple organisations in most cases, although you do still find one or two people who've been in the same place. You're probably looking at possibly geographically moving around, and then you're looking at different roles being held over a long period. So, you know, that does mean that people have to really morph. The person that started somewhere at 21 or 22 is entirely transformed by the time they come to the other end of that journey, which might not have been the case a long time ago. So there's all these little detours and added on pieces and little excursions and changes and movements. That's kind of what the modern working journey looks like, isn't it?
1: And it's actually, you know, it's an opportunity because you have fantastic possibilities of reinventing yourself, of actually switching careers. I mean, myself, I switched career completely when I joined Smurfit uh, from uh, into education. So people, although they you know, it might sound where well, we have to work longer, but actually there's, there's, there's incredible opportunities with that. And I think that's why people are asking themselves these questions. Well, you know, is this what I really want? You know, and also is this the type of organization, is this the type of culture that I want to be part of, or, you know, there is this move much more towards, uh, it's not just what the organization can do. It's not what I can do for the organisation, it's also what the organisation is going to do for me. So, you know, I think this, this this, really, you know, goes to the point of lifelong learning, what we do. It, you know, it, it really, it, it really cements this need for upskilling, constant learning and new ways of thinking and embracing the changes that are actually happening rather than resisting it. And, and that's why... Personally, I get so much satisfaction out of what we do in executive development, because that's that's what it's all about. It's about helping people to embrace change. It's about helping them to connect with like minded peers. It's about looking at different organisations and different sectors and seeing how they're doing it, you know, and actually finding new ways of doing things by getting fresh perspectives and ideas. So it's a you know, it's certainly um, it's an area that's only going to grow in demand uh, as we as we go forward, I would say, over the next couple of years. And it's exciting. It's really exciting from that point of view. So just recently now in the last week, our latest financial time rankings have been released for executive education globally. And I'm really pleased that uh, Smurfit Executive Development has climbed again for another year in the rankings. And this time we have moved from being 42nd position globally to 31st position globally in the world, which is, which is just fantastic, particularly given the last two years that we've actually come from. And, you know, what gets us, you know, into that place uh, being top ranked in the world is the fact that, you know, people, will rank us very highly on, on, on our faculty, that depth of expertise, the practitioner level that comes into that as well, and how they can bring this new skills and learnings back to their workplace. It's that application of the learning, making it real life, bringing it back and making the organization and teams perform better. So we're absolutely thrilled uh, with the result, And it's also a credit to the team, but to the Smurfit School generally, that uh, you know, we have such a world class reputation within Ireland and it's completely unmatched. So, in executive education terms, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm personally very proud of what we are achieving, and to see that we can provide a world class offering to you know multinationals, to public sector, government, indigenous, private companies, NGOs, you know, it's fantastic to see the diversity of organizations that actually come through our doors.
0: And Helen, talk to me a little bit about rankings because, as outsiders, you're obviously directly involved, like like one hundred percent immersed in them. But there, there, there's so many rankings, there's so many colleges, and internationally, the, the competition is is ferocious. It, it really is. Unless you're actually in it, you don't really get a full sense of it. So at that you know the, the the discipline of it that it imposes upon colleges and educational institutions. Talk to me a little bit about that and how important it is, because it is a comparator. There's not many industries that actually have this, you know, if you can call it. Like people are nervous about me using even the word industry, but it's not as if other sectors are ranked in this way. So talk to us a little bit, our listeners, what it means and what it feels like to be trying to keep up all the time with the rankings.
1: Well, you know, in in a very positive way, um, it really provides a benchmark against which we can measure what we're doing and where it ranks uh, amongst our counterparts. And for us, that's the most important um, factor why uh, we're in it. So in a way, it sets the bar in terms of what the standard is globally. And then for us, it's a way of constantly evaluating and measuring, you know where we where we are in light of that competitor set. So there's a, there's a very um, precise set of criteria. Um, 80% of your evaluation for executive education is directly by the executives themselves. So it's their voice, really. Only 20% is for the actual school part of it. So your, you know, your basic facts and figures. Um, and it really looks from, you know, the participant's point of view, well, you know, how did you find the course design? What did you think of the teaching methods? You know, what, what how would you rate the faculty? what skills did you learn you know what was the diversity in the classroom you know what was the gender balance what was you know the international level of participants in the room and it's certainly very competitive but it really acts as a really good benchmark so when we look at say europe you know within the eu you know we're in the top 20 now across europe which is fantastic But having said that, Emmett, it's important to say that actually your accreditation standards, which is really your quality assurance, those standards and the Smurfit School will be triple accredited with AACSB, AMBA and Equus. They really underpin the quality of everything that we do. So the rankings wouldn't really be possible unless we had those accreditation standards in place. But for us, it validates what we do and it gives us a great sense of pride. And actually for the executives and for the client organizations, they want to know that they're getting the best possible uh, learning, that they're coming to somewhere that is not just uh, Irish focused or, uh, you know, a small outfit operating uh, within the Irish market, they want to come to a global business school and they want to learn about business globally, not just from an Irish perspective. And that's what we do. So for us, the rankings is actually very important because it means that we, as we say, we can measure where we stand. And, you know, coming 31st in the world this year um, and seeing us going up again in the rankings, just validates all the work that we do so we're very proud of it and it's 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 great for us to be able to say that to our participants and organizations you know and they feel what they're getting is premium it's high quality and they can't go anywhere else in ireland that actually has the same credentials so for that reason you know it's really important
0: and in terms of that demand i'd love to get a sense from you because you're at the coalface of this you know a lot more than the most of us about what's in demand so what what kind of areas are both organizations but also students um looking at like what what where where, what are the things that everyone is chasing right now we know there's big skill gaps and we know there's very tight labor market but what is the maybe three or four you could pick out for us where there's just very intense demand right now that you see for for courses and provision in in those particular areas
1: we've just Finalized our, our next five year strategy, and we've we've done exactly what you've said there, which is to focus on really the key areas of strength that we have that are in demand in the market. So they break down into a number of areas. I suppose firstly, strategies. Strategy, whether it's developing strategy, whether it's executing strategy, whether it's you know looking at difficulties around disruption. Uh, strategy is hugely, hugely in demand and will always be. And and really embracing strategic leadership and also building a strategic mindset when it comes to digital uh, transformation. So that's a very, very big area for us and in demand um, and at all different levels in the organisation actually. But particularly people who are looking to build their career um, and looking to go up the ladder, building those strategic skills is actually really important. Secondary would be around um, leadership, which includes coaching. So all aspects of leadership from dealing with high potentials to senior leaders, to looking at um, more junior people coming into the workforce. Uh, leadership is one of those areas that will always, always be in demand. And I guess leadership has been challenged hugely over the last two years. And there's, you know, there's a, there's a real focus, now around diversity and, you know, equality, inclusion agenda, looking at gender balance, looking at uh, resilience, looking at workplace wellbeing. So some of some of those areas are quite new in leadership terms. And, and certainly we're finding they're in they're in big demand. I guess the other area then is change. Um, You know, and, and just as we started at the outset, we've never faced so much change as individuals in business and as organizations. So how do you manage change? How do you, you know, for example, deal with this hybrid working environment? How do you attract talent? How do you retain them? How do you motivate? How do you build a culture? How do you change culture? All of those aspects of change uh, will be very much in demand. And then it will be more the core areas like governance, um, particularly around business sustainability now, very much coming to the forefront of the agenda. But all aspects of governance uh, in terms of managing and leading boards and looking at business growth, innovation, looking at strategic finance. So it's, it's, I would say, less, Emmett, for us, it is less about functional competencies. You know, technically, people are very competent at what they do. It's about learning new skills and tackling issues um, of a more strategic nature in the organisation. And I don't like using the word soft skills, but it is about building uh, capability around how you deal with people, how you deal with conflict, how do you build culture, how do you, you know, um, embrace diversity. So, you know, what we always say is that leadership is a choice, and our philosophy is, you know, that the best leaders are the best learners, and it's those people who want to advance in their careers and want to, you know, have those possibilities of reinventing themselves and going up the ladder. They they just have such a passion, uh, and the organisations to learn about how can we do this better, what can we do differently, how can we, you know, change what we're doing to make it better, and um, so there's a there's a I would say, um, you know, those areas for in the, the next five years, and particularly as the pace of change and digital transformation progresses, these areas are only going to get get you know stronger in terms of being in demand in the market.
0: That's a. It's an interesting idea that they they have the functional piece already there, and you're building on that. You're 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 enhancing, I suppose, their their skills profile. That that's a fascinating one because I suppose a lot of them would be mid career, so they're they're looking to make that final leap, or maybe at a fork in the road or something like that in their career, where they're they're looking to take a new direction. Would that be a typical kind of profile of student?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I I think as well what you know what we always say is what got you to where you are today won't necessarily get you to where you want to go tomorrow. So, for example, somebody could be very technically competent, very good at what they do. And um, but you know, haven't developed themselves in terms of their leadership capability, in terms of their interpersonal side, emotional intelligence, you know, haven't built some of the strategic skills and mindset that they need to have if they want to go forward in the organization. And sometimes as well, what happens is that the very reason why somebody is so good at what they do technically is what maybe gets them to the next level, but it also can become their derailer in terms of maybe they don't perform as well as expected. Because of course, the new role or the new career or the new position requires a different mindset and a different approach, building on what those technical skills have given them in the first place. So um, that would form the basis, I would say, of most. Most people are very are obviously very competent and and performing very well. But you know they they know their gaps. They know their they know their areas where they need to strengthen. And I just saw research last week actually uh, looking at you know the percentage of Irish businesses that are ready for digital transformation and you know over half of the businesses interviewed and this was quite a substantial survey you know said that they're not prepared they're not ready uh, to embrace the change so people are and organizations recognize that actually there's only one way to to really go forward in terms of embracing the disruption and the need for uh, establishing how we're going to work in the future and that is through learning and developing your skills and building your knowledge and building your expertise and building your connections I think the connections is a really interesting piece because COVID uh, somebody said to me last week actually I thought it was very funny um, you know when she was back in the classroom and she said it's it's so wonderful to spend time with people that I'm not related to (laughs) because (laughs) she's
0: (laughs) so sad I think a lot of us would feel that way, but maybe we should keep it quiet.
1: We we spend probably more time with people that we relate to over the last two years than we probably ever did, you know, but just that just that opportunity to meet like minded people and to have those conversations and that there's a real sense now that people are really valuing that they're being much more selective, obviously, about what they do, because we all realize now we don't have to do maybe the extent that we were in the past but they do really value those conversations and connections. And there's nothing better than being part of a group that are all traveling in the same direction, like-minded, uh, where you can actually, you know, have those really rich conversations and build those contacts and connections.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that in terms of classroom, and I got to use that word loosely, classroom registration, like what kind of Obviously, it's very hard to cater for a very, you know, diverse group. People will be different genders, ages, nationalities, different tastes, uh, you know, in terms of how they, they kind of consume their education content. I mean, are, are have you found some people want to be online, some people want to be in the classroom, some people want to be in a mixture? How have you kind of catered to that diverse need? It's not easy, I'm sure, since COVID has come and gone and back in again. I mean, how how have you managed to kind of find the, the sweet spot where, most of the students are happy with the way it's administered
1: well i think you have to provide options it's really as simple as that so there's no going back to uh you know we 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 only do things in person uh, as it was before covid the the truth is that there's actually you know there's actually advantages and disadvantages to whichever modality as we call it that you choose so what i learned through covid um and you know we had to within a fortnight transfer Everything over to, uh, to being delivered in a virtual space, which was, you know, huge challenge. But we did it, and we did it very successfully. But what I've learned is that actually online, you know, it certainly gives people flexibility. And um, you know, there, there's also the option of being able to record. Uh, it also, in a in a in a funny way. Uh, People have said to me that actually, if you're a quieter or maybe more introverted person, some people find online easier because it feels maybe more difficult in the classroom sometimes, you know, to be heard. So in a way, being online actually maybe gives them more of a voice, which is kind of interesting feedback. So I think there's, you know, there's advantages and people will choose what they, you know, what they prefer. And it's up to us then to provide uh the options to them so we're running both what we call live virtual which is live online and in-person programs at the moment and that will continue to develop um, as we go forward so I I think as well we also have to be cognizant that you know the the market generally for education and learning is transforming all the time and there are outside of the business school community there are lots of other providers as well So for business schools, it's essential that we keep up with the times and that we're also providing those options and that people can make the choice themselves. Some people will be adamant about being back in person. And particularly at the moment, you know, the demand is certainly in that direction because people want to reconnect again. Um, But certainly online is, is here to stay um and we would see it very important as we develop the portfolio going forward
0: do you think a mixed version as as you say a kind of a hybrid module or course is that likely to be popular where you get all those pieces in it, it, it together
1: we call it hybrid you know a blended approach where there will be some aspects like i suppose our, our guiding principle would be that if something can be done individually in your own time you know let's not waste time bringing people together to do that so time that you spend in person should be to achieve learning that you wouldn't be able to do at an individual level so that's the basis of these very rich conversations that you have in the classroom but the hybrid approach and definitely is is how we will go forward i think though there are sometimes misconceptions about hybrids. So if we say hybrid, sometimes people think, well, that means I can come online or I I can be in class. I can tune in whatever I want in whichever way I want. That can be challenging because, you know, you can't have two people sitting in the classroom and everybody online. That sort of defeats the purpose. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, there is a little bit of working through that at the moment um, where the in-person, certainly components, we like people to be in person unless, you know, there is a valid reason, illness, or they have COVID that they can't attend in person. But so the hybrid, you need to be careful about that. But at the moment, as I say, we're either kind of having people all online or we're having them in person. And then there's a certain level of, we say, independent work that they do themselves, you know, self-paced learning that they can do themselves. But certainly hybrid people joining virtually and joining in person will be something that will develop going forward. But you kind of have to work through that at the moment because I don't think the market has really settled in terms of people making those choices just yet.
0: Now, Helen, as you consolidate down on these these latest uh, ranking numbers that you've got, I, one final thing that occurred to me I'd love to know about is in terms of who's driving the the, the need for a reskilling. Obviously, there's there's different courses. There's obviously the, the lecturer has an input. The the, the company. That you do bespoke courses as well. I mean, the, the, the student has a, a very big role. So it, is it sort of, because a lot of courses, sometimes it can originate in a review or an appraisal of someone where they're at at a particular time, and then a course grows out of a conversation, et cetera. So in this new era we're living in, can you give us any sense of, of who's driving this need to reskill or who's kind of taking ownership of it? Obviously, there's a lot of different forces at play here, but, but where is that all coming from? I'd love to know... Um, what do you think of that,
1: Brian? Certainly, from a, an executive individual point of view, there is a there is a big demand um, that people recognise themselves that the organisation is changing. They may want to advance their career. They see opportunities arising. They want to do something different, and I guess the you know the value of of coming to Smurfit is, you know, for the accreditation, the qualification. Uh, gives them the credentials as well as the knowledge and the expertise that they're looking for to take them to that next level. So certainly, uh, you know, executives are being very ambitious themselves in driving themselves and looking to their peers and seeing what's happening. And that's certainly encouraging a lot of people to come through the doors. But equally, at an organisation level, you know, we would do quite a bit of work with client organisations. And that can be a variety for a variety of different reasons. But normally there is something afoot in the organization. There's maybe a change that they want to bring about or something has happened where they see the need to do something on a more collective basis to bring people together to, you know, rather than people doing maybe programs individually. So there are, you know, there are reasons why people will come individually because it's good for them to step out of their organization It's good for them to get new perspectives, to see how things are done in other industry sectors. But then from an organisation point of view, there is also merit. in actually, for example, if we need to develop our strategic mindset for digital transformation, that we actually bring different levels in the organisation along together on the same learning journey. So it really depends on what the, you know, where the um, the motivation is actually coming from. And actually on, on our side, it will be very much 50-50. So there is equal demand coming from individual executives and equal demand coming from organizations. You mentioned the Ukrainian situation at the outset, and yes, that, you know, that's certainly affecting some of our international clients in terms of not being able to or not feeling Politically right now, that will be the right thing to do where they have employees in Russia, based in the Ukraine, but largely organizations are trying to move forward now. And, you know, where they were set back, I suppose, over the last two years. Uh, bring people together for these type of executive programs is a really good way to to get people back on track again and to get them to connect and to network as well as establishing, you know, some concrete objectives that they want to do in the organization. So I'd say it's 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 a balance between both Emmett, but both sides are, are particularly strong at the moment.
0: Okay, Helen. Well, listen. Well done on those recent um, rankings. It's very important to get those, and as I said, it does kind of give fresh impetus and energy to everyone on the team that you you work alongside. I think you've also will keep your marketing people happy with the new moniker. Come and take a course, and you don't have to be doing it with people you're related to. <laughs> you, you can try that strap line uh, and see does it does it get a response. But overall, I think it, it's a very important period as people do venture back to the office, and that skilling need it's only growing, and in a tighter labour market, it's only going to become more intense a lot of time will be about getting more from people that have been there you know you can't just solve every problem by recruiting so you're absolutely right when you say it's about kind of developing and growing people who are often already there underneath your nose in the office or online on a zoom session it's been a great conversation Helen thank you very much Helen is uh, Helen Brophy she is the director of Smurfit executive development it's been a great conversation I will talk to you again no doubt as this journey continues thank you very much
1: thanks very much Emmett
0: Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world. So there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of David Corse cadden Ed Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver. We hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact.